Hello everyone, welcome to Intimate Animation, brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. This series covers animation that takes on adult themes of love, relationships, and sex. So steal yourself as there's some frank discussion ahead. Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Intimate Animation with me, Ben Mitchell, and Laura Beth Cowley. Hello, Laura Beth. Hello, Ben. How are you doing? I'm okay. A bit tired. I think we're so far we're fighting fit. We're coming at you from the uh, the squiggly bunker, isolated from the rest of the world. But we've been busy since the last episode. I think we were talking about heading off to Anima in Brussels. And uh, head off to Brussels we did. And it was a jolly old time indeed. And before coronavirus hit everyone, apparently. So that was good. Good timing. It's a tricky situation, I guess. Like, things are getting um, postponed and cancelled hither and thither. Anima, I think, was a relatively coronavirus-free event. I enjoyed it a great deal. How did you find it? I liked it a lot. I'd never been before. I've never been to Belgium before. So it was a lot of new things. Yeah. I think the nice thing about that type of festival is is when there are people there that you know already, and it's kind of an excuse to kind of catch up with people first and foremost. And I guess our sort of uh, main initial, I suppose, reason for being there, it was the possibly final outing for my film, mm. Sunscapades, my uh, now second to last film. The way you said that made it sound like you're going to die. <laughs> Well, you know, the times that we're living in. <laughs> my final, my second to last film. You've got to keep these people on the edge of their seat. You know, a bit of drama sprinkle into the podcast. That was a fun evening. Um, yeah, it was well. part of the animated night, which had some... Uh, it was an interesting one because it was far and away at the beginning of the evening the most attended of all the events. Like, yeah. it was absolutely rammed. It's like a multi-story cinema in terms of the audience seating. It's more like a theater. Mm. There's like multiple balcony tiers. Um, but what was interesting is the fullest it was was at the beginning of the evening, which was around half nine. My film was like the fourth to last <laughs> one in the third screening. So it played at around two in the morning, mm. I think. Uh, by that point, maybe two thirds of the audience were still there maybe like between half and two thirds it was yeah. still pretty full though like but for two in the morning from being there from nine and they they have they're there forever yeah. it is the longest screening ever because they have like an hour between screenings oh yeah it was like a 45 minute gap between that's why it went on so long what was interesting was the kind of audience responses at the beginning of the screening like in the first screening were pretty timid like they want, they were kind of holding back a bit, and it, it struck me throughout the week that it was not the most vocal crowd, no. apart from a film we'll get to in a second. But generally speaking, like there were you know films that got like chuckles, mm. and films that I've seen in other places, and they were just killing. And I was you know thinking, oh, this is a full house, and this is how they're reacting to really really funny films. I'm going to bomb. And I think by virtue of it maybe being past two in the morning and the amount of alcohol that had happened in between, by the time the third screening rolled around and it was far less attended, the response, I felt, was a lot more, like, vocal and boisterous. Yeah, it went down really well. 
the people were very vocal. It's one of those weird things of like I don't think I've seen your film as often right. as you have in cinemas, but it's always it always weirds me out which bits people laugh at and which bits they don't. Because mm-hmm. like every time we see it, it's a completely different reaction to lots of different parts of the film, except the ending. Everyone always really laughs at the like coda. Possibly partial relief. <laughs> but that was a that was a really nice way, I think, to kind of bid it farewell. It was a great, you know, mm. uh, environment to do that. Uh, we were also drafted on that night to um, participate in the jury for something that was organised, I guess, by Cartoon Network, like gift bags giveaway and then uh, uh, passes to next year's edition. Uh, it was a Cartoon Network competition, I guess, essentially. And uh, so you and I were drafted to judge the contest. That was a bit of an experience. It was I think fun. that kind of brings us, in some respects, to the, the general theme of our little podcast here of um, animation that uh, has a tendency to be a little bit uh, deviant. Mm. Uh, you get 50-odd slightly drunk <laughs> Belgians to draw like a creature the first thing that comes to their mind is it you see a lot of dicks a lot of dicks a lot of anuses dicks and buttholes just a, a vagina here or there just a kind of you the know quality people yeah I think but far and away one of our favourites was the relatively quaint one which was the hamburger broccoli turtle and it was just someone who had just turtle. done like a turtle with a hamburger and bun the, for a and shell. The, and, the, and the porcupine that was fries. Yeah, the porcupine in the tree. with. And the, the parrot that was a beer and also a bottle opener somehow. Well, that was the thing. Is like The, more the you tragedy. It, the more like, it kind of delivered. You have to um, give Marco, who the uh, was the coordinator at the festival, credit for putting us with the people that we got put with to judge these. Because you couldn't have had people that simultaneously took it less seriously and more seriously than we did. Yeah, no, I think we were the right team for the job. Yeah. We were paired up with a pair of Estonian directors, uh, Oscar Lehemar and uh, Mick Maji, who were sort of the heroes of the week, I felt. That, you know, prior to the animated night, the screening that got the absolute most positive response you know, during and after, was their film, which is called Old Man Cartoon Movie, which it's a bit tricky to look it up because if you type Old Man Cartoon Movie into Google, you just get up. Yeah. But it's an Estonian stop-motion film based on a character called Old Man uh, Vanamehe, I think is the Estonian name, and um, his grandchildren on a farm and uh, the adventures they get up to. So funny. It was really, really good. It was, I mean, it was... So weird and so funny. So surreal and dark. Yeah. And, like, just messed up, but also hilarious. And, like, the voice acting was so good, which I think Mick did a lot of it. Yeah, I think so. It it was one of those things where it definitely felt like a very auteur thing. Mm. Like, it felt like a very small... I mean, a lot of people worked on it, but it it was a deliberately, I think, stripped back... Like, there's no lip sync, for example. No. Which will make it very easy if they ever translate it. I hope they never do. No, I think being an Estonian makes makes it really funny. It's kind of like a town called Panic. Like, it's funnier in French. Yeah. No, I think being in English would ruin it, personally. Uh, Although I would, if I was, like, given to, like, as a project, it would be awfully fun to dub it. 
Yeah. But yeah, it just, the end result wouldn't be nearly as good as just... The subtitles, I think, kind of, like, make it... Certain dialogue is funnier to read. I don't know if there's sometimes a funny... There's also an inherent funniness, which I think also comes from, uh, um, from the Panic films as well, mm. is that somehow by, like, having a film that has subtitles, you inherently think it's going to be quite serious. Okay. And yet... It, that so it, that on like a very small level is also kind of funny that it's like this foreign language film that you're like watching in a cinema but they're talking like about cows and udders and milking and stuff yeah so there's something kind of funny about the process of reading that and having and being a little bit slow on the uptake yeah no i, I could see that certainly if that's like a kind of primary association with um like films with subtitles which i think it is for most people yeah. From our country. But yeah, it was... Uh, I would say, like, sex wasn't a through line of it, but there were some very good <laughs> moments in it. One involving an enchanted tree. Oh, I love the tree. I want the tree in my house. It certainly wasn't, like, an all-audiences film. No, it's, it's for adults. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just... I have no idea what its um, potential will be as far as being shown in England. I really I will, hope it I does. will go to bat for it if ever the opportunity presents itself yeah. and try and get it screened wherever we can. I'll be um, disappointed if it becomes one of those films that everyone's, like, snobby about. I wonder if it'll get into math. It might get into math. Uh, I, I think it like would be it. right up Steve's alley. Mm. Um, <laughs> if you're listening to this, Steve, just saying. <laughs> uh, we'll, yeah, we'll see. I, I, would I definitely think there's go life see in it, it again if yeah. it was on, like, Encounters or Math or London or something. Anyway, it was a pleasure to uh, you know spend some time with them and uh, judge this contest. <laughs> I have um, I took po- photos of the uh, the winning entries for you know posterity. All the entrants wrote their names on um, their entry. You know, obviously, so they could be you know if they won, they'd get their stuff. Except some of them didn't. Well, idiots. that's you remember we had that whole thing where we had to veto people because they didn't. Like there were people in there that we that would have won or at least come runner up, but because they didn't put their name on it, we were like, nope, gotta go, because we don't know who this person is. So I think far and away, one of the and this made it to the top three, and these are the people who I think got a pass for the next edition. Uh, budding young artist, I won't put her contact details out there, but uh, the name is Feng Dan Quinn, and uh, her entry, I'll just describe it. It might still be somewhere on the anima. Um, social media no. album. Nope, it is not. Oh, you look. Yep. <laughs> um, it was briefly on their Instagram story. So, um, it's some kind of manticore falcon dragon thing with antennas, and it's either breathing petal-like flames or is eating petals in the sky. It has a vagina and a penis. It has scales and fur. It has a tail. It has and a cooked chicken leg. A cooked chicken drumstick instead of a arm, which another creature is salivating over and reaching up to try and lick. Which is some um, sort of warthog chicken with an anus. With a very pronounced anus. Like a protuberant anus. Yeah. Like it's puffy. It is a shame if this isn't online still, because this is a work well, of art. put it on squiggly. Much like Hamburger Turtle, it's it's the gift that keeps on giving. I don't know if it'd be worth putting on Instagram, because we'd have to blur out so much of it. I think initially we were like, okay, this is just like some deviant art machination. And then by the end of the hour, because we had a couple... <laughs> we were like, no, mobbies. this or nothing! <laughs> yeah, we were, there was, it's very important that this is not only one of the winners, but one of the top three. So what we didn't, I think, realise was that the winning entries were going to be spot-lit with a, um, 
uh, one of those little cameras that uh, projects camera. <laughs> that projects it on the screen behind us so everyone could see in you know quite vivid detail. Oh my god, the audible like oh. Yeah, no, we were expecting it to get a big laugh, and it was just like, oh, no. Absolute disgust and disdain. <laughs> and then this tiny little girl got up on stage to be like, thank you for my present. <laughs> and I was like, I love you, you weird, weird girl. Yeah. Oh, I think she's got a bright future. Yeah. She's, you know, I want her to be my friend. She's an inventive lass. So, yeah, that was Anima. I mean, there were some great films uh, as part of the various competition strands. We had sort of previewed a couple in the last episode as ones that were maybe, you know, perhaps kind of thematically a fit for this podcast. I think in hindsight, a couple of them weren't so much. No, that one, the, um, oh God, what was it called? The Stonian Love Story or something like that? I think we kind of maybe flagged Deep Love, which was a Ukrainian film from the title and from the kind of poster image. But that was actually more of a kind of... Surreal montage film. Yeah. Slug Life also which was one I'd kind of had my eye on. It is kind of a love story, but it was sort of so rooted in abstraction, but a hell of a watch. Like, the character work is is quite something. But there were a couple of others that were good. There was a great one that I think was part of Animals. Oh, no, it was student films uh, called Animals. Mm, that um, was really good. That was from Denmark by uh, Two Sangard, uh, an absurdist contemporary short film following the wild transformation of nine people stuck in a metro. So there's a bunch of people on a subway. The subway, uh, the doors don't open at their stop. It just carries on, and they're trapped. And they very, very quickly go feral. Yes. And yeah. uh, resort to animalistic brutality and debauchery. It really escalates very quickly. <laughs> yeah. CG, it's very fun. You know, they they get naked pretty quickly. Their character design is also really nice. Like, it's a very mm. pleasing design for a CGI human. Yeah. Chaos. Yeah. L- lustful chaos. And really well-observed movements and just a very skillful film, actually. One that I really, really liked, and this one will be playing at the Cardiff Animation Festival, is a film called Sh** Happens by Michaela Mahali and David Stumpf. This is a film about a bunch of characters that live together on a kind of apartment boat thing. Like a cruise they're at, Yeah, they're at sea. Um, but it's like an apartment complex and there's a um, building caretaker who's having a bad day. And it's about other characters around that uh, are also you know, having a day and how they're all kind of interlinked. And I think at the core of it is this story of sexual frustration from his missus and how she deals with that because he's too shagged out from cleaning up other people's messes to shag his wife. And uh, so she has to resort to other measures. But great design. It really reminds me of a loop ring chop drink. Oh, yeah. Nicholas and Maynard. also Dippenzenza. Is it Dippenzenza? Dippenzenza. Dippenzenza. Yeah. Like, Dippenzenza in terms of theme and loop ring in terms of style it's a, it's a really beautiful film yeah um that has a really strong story and doesn't shy away from quite what could be quite vulgar shots and stuff but it's just done in a really lovely way it also has a lot of thought paid to the story and how each story strand interweaves and yeah. i like the ending and you know, there's a lot of it's just it's the perfect kind of film it's everything i like in a short film i like films that like have a nice story structure that's really well contained and it doesn't lend itself to another thing doesn't 
do the thing where it goes with audiences where it's, it's like you figure out what the ending is yeah like it's yeah. a very concise it's a very well thought out piece of short filmmaking yeah and i saw mr mayor which is another 2d animated short film that's about a man who has like this cyst on his side and um he then f- finds out that the cyst is actually the top of a f- little fat man's head yeah he has this tiny little man. fat man <laughs> like coming body. out of his chest and um the discovery of it's quite nice it's like an x-ray yeah and so he sees like a tiny skeleton on the mm. inside of his skeleton and he kind of gives birth to it. It sort of escapes at night from yeah. his body, and then he kind of doesn't think any more about it. Um, but as this film goes on, the little man like falls in love with the guy. With the guy he came out of. Yeah. yeah, but is also hiding from him. And it's about him, like, I guess it's about, like, longing for someone that you know you can't really be with. But like I asked you earlier, I don't actually know if it's, like, also kind of a bit incestuous, because he did come from him. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if that was the sort of... Mentality. Undertone or overtone or whatever that they were going for necessarily. But I do think that there was a kind of, like you say, there's a sort of metaphor for longing and the hopelessness of it. And the... um, I think essentially it's about him wanting to love him back. But he has his own life to lead and he, you know, goes out and meets other people. Mm. And that's very hard to watch. A sort of glacially paced film like it really like every shot is kind of stretched out to the absolute breaking point of how long you can linger on a shot in animation so it comes to about 20 minutes which is a pretty risky move but it is a, it's a good film this is the thing is if you have the patience for it it's perfectly watchable yeah i mean it isn't a film narratively that necessarily needed to be like you say it didn't need to be 20 minutes it could have been shorter but it doesn't suffer anything from being that long either the only thing i can imagine it might run into is that problem that sometimes we see with programming where long films that are good can be put by the wayside because for that one film another five films could have been put in yeah but you know the ones that look good and this one does look very yeah. good has a very sophisticated approach to the design and the color and the cinematography and the mood the ambience and mm. stuff um that you're like okay well this isn't just someone it's a very high quality piece of work you wouldn't it wouldn't be a film that you'd breeze over the only reason why it wouldn't be shown somewhere is probably because of the length yeah that's probably its only drawback but not because it's over long just because length of short films is often an issue a music video uh for a band called juicy and the song is called something is gone and this is a kind of illustrated painterly looking music video with quite strong erotic themes to it um like you know well we're looking at it now and it's the the woman charming his willy like a snake yeah with a uh, (laughs) right and right above a disney plus ad good old youtube (laughs) It's animated, what else do you want? <laughs> it reminds me of, like, Lizzie Hobbs' work in terms of its, like, painting quality. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, so, yeah, a couple of films to keep your eyes open for uh, if you're out. Oh, I know what else we wanted to mention. We just want to mention uh, Wine Wenches, even though it's not related. It's not really a sex film, but it's a very good film. Yeah. It's, um, it, was kind of, it felt like a kind of spiritual companion to hot and tasty yes yeah, uh, yeah. by laura jane hogkin and it was a film it's from the netherlands and it's by esther herrick and it's just lovely it's the same kind of 
initial premise of you know a bunch of girls who are mates going on a night out but there uh there's a different energy to it i suppose like there's more of a kind of like they the humor i think in hot and tasty is very dialogue oriented and you have the kind of silent comedy juxtaposed against the dialogue of the two girls mm. but that's usually not what people laugh at so much like i think mostly people respond to the the conversation of the girls yeah you know, rather than what's happening with the and this one is all silent comedy essentially but yeah, it's all it's like, like, like sort of sight gags and stuff but you know the bits with like holding the hair out of her face and stuff that absolutely slayed and uh, completely kicked out any chance of uh my film winning the audience award <laughs> although the one that did win the audience award surprised me it was that uh, wild west yeah. uh, aspect ratio one wild people west really love that yeah but, and I liked it fine. I wasn't surprised and like, it's a terrible... I thought it was a very funny film. I was just like, of all the films, it was kind of liked, you know? Yeah, I felt like it belonged online because of the aspect ratio. I imagine it probably is or will it's be. A, it's I mean, great, that was the joke, was the yeah. aspect ratio, was that you can't see because it's it's that phone aspect ratio, that portrait mode, rather than the traditional Western aspect ratio which is cinemascope and so you can't see what's going on to the left of the right of the screen is basically the joke but it was funny it was you know it did work mm-hmm. um and it was very well done it was very good quality animation so kudos to the makers of wild west compressed and thank you to anima brussels for uh giving my little film one last hurrah shall we talk about this episode's guest sure today on intimate animation we're going to be talking to natasha setna who just released a film called Nigel. It was her RCA graduation film, and it's been doing the rounds in a pretty big way. She, I think, has been pretty proactive about getting it out there. But it's a solid film, and people have been really responding to it in a big way. It's sort of loosely based on a true story, which you wouldn't necessarily you know, think watching it, given that the main character is a big half-man, half-walrus with his cock out. That element used a bit of poetic license. Uh, but like I say, it's been sort of doing the rounds. You've probably seen it sort of posted on sites like Short of the Week, uh, Director's Notes. It's nice, that creative review. And of course, our very own Squiggly Showcase. It's a, it's an interesting film. I'm finding that the RCA, there's been a bit of a switcheroo, and the RCA is doing a lot of solid story-driven films lately. Um, whereas before they were kind of, in the earlier days, I think of, of Squiggly, the RCA were the kind of like, it's all abstract films and experimental films. And the NFTS was like, this is story, you know? And I think the NFTS films now are kind of, they're making a lot more films that are kind of steeped in metaphor Mm. and the RCA are doing a lot more kind of story driven films. There's a bit of abstraction to, uh, Natasha's work, but it is interesting. Like it's it's it holds together as a kind of cohesive piece. There's a lot of very skilled animation in it, which is quite impressive. And she talks a bit about like her animation background, which isn't that traditional. So that came as a bit of a surprise. Mm. But the kind of concept of the film came from a viral article or a viral news story from a couple of years ago about a lonely gannet, and uh, I've just found the first article on it. Um, This is from The Guardian. I think she mentions this article uh, in the interview. Nigel the Lonely Gannet died as he lived, surrounded by concrete birds. 
New Zealand conservationists mourn the loss of celebrated bird that was lured by replica gannets in the hope of establishing a breeding colony. So this bird became particularly obsessed with one of these fake gannets and doted on her. Her. Mm. <laughs> it. And eventually kind of died by its side. Mm. And uh, that was the noise collectively that the whole internet made when this story did the run. bird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, love does crazy things. No, just birds are stupid. Well, birds are dumb. He never showed any interest in real-life birds, instead remaining aloof, chattering to his concrete mate, while the real birds got on with business in a different part of the colony. He's like the animal equivalent of those men that buy sex dolls. Well, yeah, I mean, that's another thing we'll kind of get into. It's sort of, um, it's like a bird version of Lars and the Real Girl. Uh, but also, I think the main kind of thrust of the, the story is it's the hopeless love that we all either recall from our own, like, you know, early days of being lovelorn, or we know or have known people who were just, you know, love-struck with some hopeless premise, someone that they just pine after for ages and... It's never going to happen, but they just can't get over it. I can honestly say I never fell in love with a concrete person. I mean, I'm not sure if it's quite as literal as falling no, in love with a concrete literal person. literal representation. <laughs> <laughs> that very well may have been her intention, and I misread it. <laughs> she definitely um, fell in love with a concrete man. Well, she certainly felt moved by the story of Nigel. The film has been released online, although it is still doing the rounds at festivals. Shall we hear from Natasha? Yes, please. So you went initially to university in Westminster. Yeah. Um, before that, you lived in Poland, is that right? Yes, I lived in Poland until I finished my... Until, until I got my A-levels, and then I moved to London to study animation at the University of Westminster. So then growing up, what sort of cultural influences were around as far as like leading you to the path of animation was it something that you were kind of into at a young age or did it come sort of closer to when university came along no all my life i was supposed to study graphic design in academy of arts in poland Hmm. because if you want to be an artist in poland and you want to earn some money that is basically the only option you can choose the other option is study painting or illustration then you just become a phd tutor at the academy of art and i was taking a lot of classes in still life and then poster design and a bit of typography and i always hated poster design (laughs) i had good ideas but then i I was really bad at designing the poster and I i actually never enjoyed it so i always felt limited and then when i was 18 my mom told me that I can choose one of the short courses at Central St. Martins. And I chose the five days course at, at St. Martins with Sean McGlinchey, who actually passed away like last year. And yeah, just for four days, just for five days, he was teaching us how, how to make a walk cycle of a dog, animation of a man. And it was just really inspiring and something clicked in my head that maybe this could be my escape from graphic design because mm. it would actually make the techniques I like to work with and also I could actually tell stories and work with sound. Yeah. So I decided that, okay, if, I, if I'm really bad at animation, I can always come back to Poland in shame. <laughs> <laughs> There's always returning in shame. 
Yeah. And I really didn't I didn't really want to study anything in Wuj or Poland. Because in Wuj at that point, if you wanted to study animation you already had to have some kind of portfolio. As I remember, and there were even some people who were trying to get into the academy in which for like seven years or five. Mm. And that is a lot. And also it felt a bit claustrophobic in Poland for me because everyone knows each other. And I just wanted a bit of anonymous identity that if I get into the university in, in London, at least it's not because I know someone. Mm. So, yeah. I really enjoyed Westminster, but it wasn't what some people expected it to be. Because some people thought it's going to teach you how to be an animator. And no, they, at least at that point, they taught you how to be a director. <laughs> and you have to learn yourself. You have to teach yourself how to animate. What sort of resources then did you personally kind of use as far as teaching yourself animation? Um, I was, for example, in first year, in the second time, they told us to make a surrealistic film, one minute long, basically do whatever you want to do. So I ended up making a four-minute film, and I taught myself After Effects and Photoshop and TV Paint by making a film. So that was a lot of fun, and my film was about the stream of consciousness, so it was just one image changing to another based on nightmares, how... Images just tend to flip from one to another and switch based on the tiniest screws that our mind is trying to connect. Hmm. Especially now, after RCA, I really appreciate the amount of tutorials we had at Westminster. Yeah. Because we had mandatory tutorials almost every week, which sometimes actually felt too many, or like too much feedback, because you can't really react to every feedback every week. But it was really intense and it was really pushing yourself. And you had to make the group films. Ah, but they turned out well. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was a, a little noise of disgust there. I mean, were there some nightmare yeah. collaborations? Yeah, me and my best friend, we almost destroyed our friendship. And now we look at it back like a scar. But we got through it. <laughs> it's okay. I think the funniest, I mean, at least the most interesting documentary was, uh, because we had to make two group films. And the second one was... Um, documentary with my course mate whose grandma was seeing ghosts and she was almost blind but she could see ghosts at her home so I made the whole film about her I was animating the grandma I've never met the grandma Mm. I was never allowed to meet her because she's apparently scared of strangers so I was mostly relying on secret footage that my friend was taking of her (laughs) (laughs) that was that was really fun Hmm. Yeah, and then yeah, free films that we had to make by ourselves. But mostly, I was just exploiting working in a studio with friends, and yeah, just the simplest thing. And a lot of tutors, many tutors, you know, all over the place to ask for advice. So then, as far as developing an animation skill set, because looking at your recent work, there's a lot of. I would say, quite assured animation principles on display. And I would have maybe attributed that more to a kind of traditional animation education of like starting with the early kind of exercises and and methodically kind of learning about space and weight and draftsmanship and stuff like that. But am I right in thinking then you actually just sort of learned by doing and was really sort of just looking at it as a filmmaker first and then 
the animation came with it. Yeah, I was mostly animating what is needed for the for the film. Hmm. No, well, it definitely. I mean, it feels very well rounded. Like it feels, and especially, I'm, I'm picturing certain sequences and Nigel, which we'll talk about in a minute. But sequences that kind of use like three dimensional space in a way, and camera work and stuff like that, and stuff that I think that maybe it might even be a hindrance to have more of a kind of traditional animation mindset because then you kind of get in your head a bit but there's a really nice sort of loose energy to it but it's not chaotic and that that's i think a big issue with certain types of animation that have kind of sidestepped the traditional route is that chaos kind of takes over a little bit and you lose the story um but that wasn't the case with this at all so uh it's a it's good to see but also it's interesting um you know end result given a sort of atypical education. Yeah, it was a bit of a life goal to learn dynamic camera moves, because I tried to experiment with it already in my previous film in Bara, but, yeah, and it was it felt really satisfying to see there is a shot when the camera goes into the flower pot, and it, it sees the little seed growing roots, and then we travel through the roots until we see the, the whole, like, the, the developed tree. So for this film, it was my, I have to do it. I have to make dramatic points and have to make the camera more immersive in a way. Because it's amazing when you watch at the festival at on the big screen, camera moves, and you can see how the animators just let it, just let the line go. Hmm. I was always jealous of that because I feel like my style was... I well, still is. I'm working on it. It's really rigid. Hmm. So, so with Nigel, I really kind of stepped out of my comfort zone, which really hmm. frightens my brain sometimes. I'm <laughs> <laughs> trying to think like, how can I make the camera like wander around the walrus, like yeah. make it dramatic? This is a dramatic point. What can I do? Okay, let Nigel fly into the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So big step in my life with this film, to be honest. Hmm. As far as coming to the RCA, then. Had you been aware of it then when you were studying at Westminster? Like, was it a university that you had your sights on? Yeah, because since my first year at, at Westminster, I was helping out graduation students at RCA. Mm-hmm. I was helping such amazing animators like like Magnus Lenescock or Rosanna Wan or Raf. Oh, no, not she's called Mansion Law. <laughs> and then in the second year, I was helping out, I think, three other students. And then in my third year again, because there were many people at Westminster who just, I, I bet it happens at all of the at all of the universities when there's just a lot of people who thought they want to study animation and then they realize, no, they don't. It's too much work. And just at RCA was was a lot of students who were just there because they wanted to be there because it's their passion and it was just amazing to hang out with people who have motivation and drive to make films. So I was hanging out there quite a lot. And I feel like yeah, my films would be on a way lower level if I didn't hang out with people from RCA during my BA. Does the RCA then, as far as how they teach filmmaking and art and animation, were there any sort of unique or specific approaches that you particularly benefited from? Mostly there were a lot of presentations with other students. Mm-hmm. And it was always refreshing to hear different feedbacks from a lot of tutors whose work or opinions I really I value a lot. 
And I think since year, since year one at RCA, I had special bond like with Joe King, with my personal tutor, because he's leading the workshop in first year called Rhythm Analysis, where you learn how to experiment with the sound. Right. So every week, our group was experimenting with doing live soundtrack and recording sound. And it gave me courage to buy my own synthesizer and just experiment with recordings of mandolin and guitar and waterphone and just be braver and more experimental with my filmmaking. Mm. And yeah, the response was really good. So in the second year, mm. I'm thinking what was if there was anything different from Westminster, but it was pretty conventional. We had some workshops with writers or different artists, and it was always refreshing to hear you know, them talk about. In theory, you can also go and have some feedback or crit from other tutors, for example, from illustration. But over the years, RCA got so many students that it's quite hard to access that. Right. So I was mostly just, I think my whole year was just inspiring. Everyone was inspiring each other. There was no competition because everyone is doing such different thing from each other. But just seeing how other people are hardworking on their films and, you know, to develop their ideas, you kind of feel in the same camp. So yeah. everyone was there. Well, that's good. Looking through your um, site and your press kit and stuff, I've seen that your earlier films did get some circulation as far as like festivals and things like that. And the RCA films as well have had certainly quite high visibility festival presences and accolades. Were the universities actively involved in getting the films out there and seen and at festivals, or is that something that you kind of like shoulder as the filmmaker? No, actually Westminster never told us to submit films to festivals. I just heard it from one of the people from like two years above yeah. that he's submitting his films to all the festivals to maybe get in somewhere and maybe get a job. So I thought, oh, I could I could give it a go. I can submit to the festivals that are for free. And it actually started getting in. Hmm. And I remember when I first got into a festival, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> this really cute festival, Corto Imola, in Italy, where the films are being shown in bars and libraries and schools, like all over, I think, it Italia Romagna, I think. I don't remember exactly, but like quite a big region in Italy. But I think after, tutors were a bit surprised how my film is doing well mm. at festivals. Then they started encouraging people to actually start sending them out. So that was nice. And with RCA, they used to sub RCA used to submit films to festivals. I think until our year, they used to submit the graduation films. And with us, they stopped because I think the woman responsible for that retired. Now we had to learn everything. I think sometimes there was some. There was, for example, Joseph Wallace came at the end of our second year and gave a talk about distribution of the films and how to take care of them when they actually go online and who to contact to get the next film, you know, for example, to get funding. But in general, it's you taking care of everything and learning from each other which websites to spam or which festivals are good. Hmm. I mean, looking at Barad's, it's quite a meaty film and it's feels to me like there's a lot of artistic development that kind of happened perhaps during the making of that film you know something that kind of bridged um what you had done before and sort of getting you to a place a sort of artistic place i suppose with nigel 
Did you feel that, like, at the time, like, it was that you were kind of pushing yourself to do new things? With Bara, for sure. Because it's the style, it's a natural style of mine. Uh-huh. So it felt quite natural to just keep doing this kind of surrealistic, etching-like, horror-esque. And then I realized, oh yeah, it, it's the sound is a bit like Eraserhead. Mm. <laughs> I watched Eraserhead after I made this film, so you can't blame me on everything. <laughs> but this film was really personal, because it was about mm. a woman from my family who struggled for quite many years to conceive a child. And it's about her accepting the reality that it will never happen and trying to deal with loss and grief. But it's also about how you get stuck in a loop of fears and regrets and also when you can't let the dream go away. Mm. So it was really personal and I tried to make it as delicate and personal as I could, just in honor of her. Of her. But at the same time, I made it weird and very creepy because she knows that's what I'd like to do. And the mandrake was a lot of fun because actually mandrake in the in the Middle Ages was was said to cure infertility in women. Hmm. So actually, people always say that it's like in Harry Potter, but it's actually more like Pan's Labyrinth because Guillermo del Toro actually used that part of the myth in his film when the girl puts the mandrake under the bed of her pregnant mother. Right. So I had a lot of fun with this one, and I could actually go as scary as I could. So it was a lot of enjoyment. But with Niger, it was more challenging because I tried to keep it lighthearted in a way and sometimes funny, which was something new for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think with both films, that personal element does kind of elevate what you're watching a bit. Is that something that you imagine you'll continue to do? Is sort of draw upon like personal experience and what I always cared of when making films like Vara was the fact that some people might take it as a kind of pretentious, deep film. Right. But thank God, almost everyone understood that it's a very personal film. Mm-hmm. With Nigel, for example, and I'm I'm waiting actually. I'm I'm working on a new film. I'm developing a new film with Cardell in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And it's about head, Headless Mike. It's about a chicken that lived about its head for 18 months. Because hmm. it's a real story from 1940s. Because the head was cut off. But the main stem of the brain was left. And one of the ears. So Mike was actually healthy and conscious. And he was trying to socialize with other chickens. But hmm. no one wanted him because he doesn't have a head. It would freak anyone out. So even though it's... It's a funny, grotesque story in a way. I try to take such a story and made it, make it personal for everyone. Because mm. I'm talking about isolation and when you get rejected from the group. And about longing for normality while why you're, for example, like Mike, you're doomed <laughs> to, be, to be ostracized in a way. And then he becomes a star in a circus. And then in the end, he commits suicide because he's just abused by fame and he's fed up with everything. So I'm trying to take new angle of filmmaking and I'm not sure if I want to make films like, for example, I have a big scar on my body and some people say that I should make a film essay, an animation essay about how I feel about it and how I felt, you know, as as well, like isolated and different from others. Like, I don't want to make a film like that. I want to make something more universal, but at the same time, it's personal something wider audience and 
all those funny stories happening in the world, like the story about Nigel or story about Mike. And they made me realize that the world is not as sad as it is, or like gray, maybe gray, that the world can still surprise us with something, something grotesque. So I would like to focus on the more on the real things that are happening in the world and keep them a bit of twist. Um, I look forward to seeing how that goes. <laughs> I love the concept. And I guess with this, with Nigel, like, how was it then you came across the original story that kind of inspired it? I, I, I read a lot of weird stories. And at this point, social media learned the algorithm and they just keep suggesting me more stuff that I was... <laughs> right. So, for example, I go to Facebook and the Facebook is saying, oh, you might be interested in this. And it says, this parrot escaped from its owner and came back after two years and now it speaks Spanish. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so actually there was one moment last year when I had this massive existential crisis if I should make a film about Nigel who fell in love with a concrete statue of himself basically or should I make a film Petra who was um, a black swan in Germany and she fell in love with a pedal boat <laughs> that's shaped like a swan but the swan is white and it's wearing like it looks like it's wearing very cool sunglasses that's also a good story. Like, hmm. And she refused to fly south. She refused to mate with her with her own species. And this one zoo in Germany decided that they will take care of the swan of Petra. And they also took the pedal boat. So, <laughs> but with Petra, it would, it, you would see that it's a, it's a comedy right away. Because the pedal boat is just ridiculous. But with Nigel, actually, I found out about it around February 2018, when he was found dead next to the statue. And the whole internet blew up. And actually, I have my my favorite newspaper headlines here. So, for example, National Post wrote, Monogamous Nigel fell in love with a concrete bird and died just as a real bird flew his way. Or Vice, six lessons about love from Nigel, the lonely gamut. <laughs> and where's my favorite one? Oh, the Washington Post. Nigel, the world's longest bird, was no victim. He was a hero. Because <laughs> <laughs> actually, if Nigel didn't fly to the island and do his weird thing, the other gannets would never see him and they would never come to the island. So thanks to him, the colony actually began. Mm. So it's a beautiful story. Mm. The more you read, the more you just realize, especially in the comments, how people just write that they are like Nigel. Because it's just uncanny story hmm. where I'm sure everyone experienced when you were in love with someone and you just idealize them to an extreme point that they just stop being who they actually are. It hmm. was this creation of your imagination. It just then clashes with the reality and maybe Nike was never snapped out of it. Yeah, it, it definitely rings familiar and they, like I say, we've all sort of been there and snapped out of it, but I think probably everyone knows someone who hasn't, and they still hold on to it, and that and it goes on for years and years and years and years. It's it's a sort of tragic thing because at this at a certain point, it's like, well, what could you possibly get out of it? Like, even if you got together with the person, like the person you fancy doesn't exist. Yeah. Like you say, it's a it's an internal creation. And yeah, they just get obsessed with an idea. By the same token, like I say, I remember being younger, being in the throes of stuff like that from time to time, and then you just got to walk it off. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, that moment of just like absolutely completely romanticizing and deifying the person. Yeah, I think that's pretty universal. And then there's a kind of literal read, I suppose, of like people who actually become obsessed in that way, but with actual objects. Mm. Paraphilia, I think it is. And that's that's one of the things that algorithms have found for me is just letting YouTube run its course and select random <laughs> videos. And so you find some documentary about someone who's in love with a fucking roller coaster, or they have one of those, like, blow-up dolls or something, and they want to marry it, and they just can't get out of that. It becomes like a sort of... And the family's trying to have an intervention. But they're like, no, no, this is who I am now. I love her. And all of the things that come with her, or him, or uh, whatever. Have you seen the one about the car? A guy who fell in love with a car? I think so. <laughs> I think it's, I remember his dad was really bummed out about it. <laughs> because he found out, like, he gave two informations. First, he was shocked about the car, and then the second, he said that he's also the kindest male. <laughs> so that's the, the sort of added blow to the sort of conservative <laughs> parental <laughs> figure. Like, At least date a woman car, for goodness sake. <laughs> No, it's 2020 now. you got to let these kids date whatever car they want. Yeah, actually some people who saw my film asked me if it was if it's a comment on, you know, a lot of people in our society, follows, you know, they refuse to have real relationships, but they stick to sex robots. Right. I, I mean, if it works for you, sure. I was more thinking of, have you seen Lars and the Real Girl? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he has... You know, it's not a sex fantasy. He actually has really warm feelings and he actually loves the girl, the fake girl. Mm. So it was more towards that, about when you actually have real feelings towards something like that. Because the other thing about Nigel is the fact that we don't know if he was actually unhappy. Because mm. in the end he was grooming the statue and building nests for four years. Maybe he was happy. Maybe that's exactly what he wanted. It's also a nice thing to think about that maybe it wasn't unhappy, hopeless situation. And also scientists say that he was kicked out from his previous colony, which also made him socially skewed and why he didn't want to socialize with other birds once they came to the island. Mm. So maybe he was actually at peace. It's, I like to think about it like that. That's why I didn't want to film the. I, I didn't want to end the film with his death. I wanted to end it on a good note. It made me yeah. happy. No, I think that that's a pretty solid enough interpretation. Even if you're a bird and you're unhappy, you might want to change things up a bit. <laughs> you seem pretty happy with doing this every day. I think also sometimes with, it, like, you know, of course, the internet and the presentation of the internet and, like, those headlines you just read out, people do thrive, I think, a little bit on like things that tug at your heartstrings and maybe perhaps kind of throw themselves into like the humanity of a situation mm. a bit more and they kind of see, you know, or they interpret it the way like, oh no, this is as though they were seeing, you know, uh, an old man in the park talking to a statue every day or something like that. Like there's this kind of extra layer of pathos to it and sadness to it. Some people I saw on Reddit, some people were disturbed because the statue never gave consent to anything, so they said Nigel is an emotional rapist, which I think is taken a bit too far. Yeah. 
too far. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, how does consent manifest itself in the bird community? Yeah, that like they'll they'll do a certain squeak or something. But have you seen the documentary Dancing with Birds about Birds of Paradise and about the ridiculous dance rituals? I guess we got the dancing. The so. the female birds are so fussy. <laughs> it's so satisfying okay. to watch like the the male birds are like building those massive towers out of sticks they have competitions they have dance choreography and she's just sitting there looking at them like yeah no next one <laughs> <laughs> i love it and also the of course the male birds are like bright red and bright orange and they have those amazing feathers and she's just this little gray and still she has so much power i love it <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun <laughs> It's a nice uh, precedent to set, I think. Like people normally say, "Oh, she's so poor because she has those grey feathers and she's just not pretty." Compared to like, no, no, but she can fussy around it so <laughs> for years, and and everyone is fighting over her, so it's it's good. And it's narrated by Stephen <laughs> Fry, so I really recommend it. It's really funny. Excellent. I'll check that out. <laughs> I guess the main element of the film that stands apart from the real life story, as best I can tell would be the walrus character. And uh, I'd be interested in hearing a bit about how that came together, sort of conceptually, like where he came from. So at my first idea was to experiment with the volunteer living on the island. And Nigel, they used to live one volunteer called Chris Bell. And he was taking care of the island while Nigel was there for those four years. And my first idea was to somehow blur the line between those two that maybe the volunteer Chris is actually going a bit insane and maybe he starts seeing concrete women on the beach like Anthony Montgomery statues. And, but then it didn't flow well and I was running out of time because you have to start basically animating, especially because my film was supposed to be quite long. I had to start animating whatever I had in January or even December. And I didn't want to make a documentary. I wanted to be inspired by the story, make it fictional, but still with the base, with the foundation of the reality and focus more on Nigel's feelings. So I stepped away from that. And then I was, I had an idea that maybe there will be like three people living on the island and they represent different opinions on, on Nigel's attitude and behaviors. But then I would never finish this film if there were five people running around on the island. So then I switched to maybe two characters and one of them has is obsessed with fixing Nigel, the other one is identifying himself with Nigel. And then they fight, and then the good one wins. But then that also didn't feel right, and in the end I decided it's going to be one guy. But the more I was adding more wrinkles and moustache and making him maybe fat, and maybe he lived on the island for decades. And one of my amazing inspirations for this film was Pirates of the Caribbean 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay. where um, you can see the pirates of Davy Jones are like they have been on the ship for so many years they started becoming part of the ship so the volunteer on the island started becoming more and more wrinkly and then I decided if I, if I make him a walrus it will give me a clear way to step away from the documentation of the story and actually make it more fictional and fantastical which means I can play around more with the events because mm. I really wanted the statue to be broken at some point in the film, which never happened in reality. So I really didn't want anyone to think that actually happened by showing a person. And the walrus, I feel like my biggest inspiration for that was No Face 
from Spirited Away. Because the first time we see it, everyone tends to think it's such a cute, adorable, quiet character and mysterious. And then he becomes a monster and unpredictable. And then in the end, the, the character arc, you know, it goes back to the first version of it when he comes back to being quiet and not obedient. But, you know, it's a gentle character in the end because it goes through the through the arc. So I was thinking I could work with that. So we start with not knowing the character's motivations or anything when he's arranging the statues. And then we learn through the film, through the action, what his goal actually is. Actually, during the... Because I made him aggressive and chaotic, you know, when he's destroying the statue, it actually makes more people question what they thought about the whole situation. Because in the end, a lot of people just follow now the thought of just give the statue back to the bird. Just let him be as he is. Because otherwise, without the drama and without the walrus going through the catharsis and actually regretting his actions, we wouldn't come to this conclusion, I think. Mm-hmm. That in the end, the point of my film is we, sh- we should be more tolerant towards each other, especially if we're leading the unorthodox way of life. And if something bad happens, then you realize what your actual opinion is on the on the situation. Another detail about it I quite liked. I like the tusk changing sides from time to time. Was that not deliberate? No. Oh. <laughs> okay, I'll scratch no, that. No, it's... I thought that was like a reference to... Um... No, it was mostly because the film was made in such rush. I was working like 10 hours a day and... The film was actually animated digitally in TV Paint. Oh, okay. And then printed out. And then traced on the other side with crayons and pencils. And then scanned in <laughs> and then composited. Okay. Because otherwise it will... First of all, I feel like it would be a waste of paper if I was... You know, when you do paper animation, you actually throw away a lot of paper. Hmm. And the speed of, of production was insane. And I was working on everything at the same time. And sometimes I forgot to either... Because when you print it out, you should flip it, or you flip it when you composite it. Right. And sometimes I just I just forgot if it was flipped or not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. It, it doesn't work? Okay, next yeah, one, yeah. quickly. Because there are 60 left. <laughs> well, I guess that does answer another question I had, was the, the achievement of the look of it, because it definitely has more of a kind of analog feel, sort of if you were to compare it to um, Barat. Even though they're both quite sketchy, I was sort of so I I was curious about that kind of pencil look, but that's um yeah that's... no there was a bit of cheating just to have it done. Well, I don't know if you I think that's more previs than cheating. Like I think so many animation productions they start digital and then they if they're going to use an analog process they'll add that later, but you know it, it creates a nice end result. So yeah, I feel like it was actually quicker than digital because if I was doing it digitally I would be too hung up on details and correcting you know constantly the imperfections and with this because I was I animated it roughly and then I was cleaning it up on paper yeah so I feel like I kind of saved time because with paper you can be a bit more imperfect and focus on the texture and the feeling and if I was doing it digitally I would not feel I would not sleep at night (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned um, this project with Cardell. Do you have a sort of time frame for when that's going to be done, roughly? No, we're waiting to hear about 
funding. Okay. The script is written, the storyboards are maybe 30% done, but the script is done. And I think if I get this commission that I'm working on now, if I don't get it, I'll be just working on it, on the film. Mm-hmm. Because until October, I thought I will never make a film again because I was so burnt out after Niger. <laughs> Actually, I, I still am. And then I realized that I miss making films because it's an amazing feeling to tell a story. And I actually wanted to make a film either about Nigel or Mike. But with Mike, I wanted to spend more time because I really wanted to be like Guy Ritchie, Sin City style. Okay. <laughs> like overly dramatic. Uh-huh. And, and also a bit of Al Colombia and Goya, but mostly just Frank Miller vibe. Oh, nice. Okay. It's a film about the chicken. And also Felix Scheinberger, because I love him. So, yeah, that's going that's going slowly. Just waiting now. Waiting how it goes. Cool. I feel like that's the most... That's the biggest part of filmmaking. Every time I talk to someone who was... Who made a film because of funding, they just say, like, it's, it's just waiting. There's just a lot of waiting. And then try not to go crazy while you're waiting. Yeah. One of my friends, actually, from Switzerland, he made another film while waiting. <laughs> I might end up like that. <laughs> I really want to make a film about insomnia, maybe in 360 degrees, about how, because I have quite a bit of insomnia, and I, I want to make a film how, you know, the stereotypical way of falling asleep is to count sheep. But since I was a kid, counting sheep was giving me even more anxiety, because I was losing the count of the sheep, and then it was just was just stressing me out. So I was thinking of maybe make something like that, but in VR, in my style, like in the in the Barra style, but a bit inspired by Syria can just make a lot of monstrous sheep morphing around you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, time frame is with Mike. If everything goes well, then I guess it will be done next year, May, should be, I think, something like that. If not, I, I will work on it anyway. <laughs> well, that's a good attitude to have. I mean, I, th- I think that you say you have the friend who made the film while waiting, and one of the things I do love about animation, and certainly once you know your way around it, and you know you've done a couple of films and you sort of seen exactly what labor goes into each stage, working out you know ideas or ways to get things done, just when time presents itself, I think is always a good thing. I don't think it's great to be completely without funding. Films deserve to get some backing behind them. But I think if you've got that spirit, I guess, of wanting to get the idea done um, and getting it done one way or another, that's always a good thing. Yeah, I can always go back to Poland and live at my parents' house and make a film in the basement. (laughs) Uh, Plenty of films have been made that way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to Natasha Setna, the director of the film Nigel, which is still doing the rounds at festivals. It is online at the moment, but if you'd like to catch it on the big screen. This weekend, she's at Tricky Women. The screening will be 9.30pm on Saturday the 14th and 1.30pm on Sunday the 15th. There's more information at trickywomen.at slash en. Uh, the film will also be playing in the near future at Anamokji in the playoff category, animokje.com, A-N-I-M-O-C-J-E.com, and Annie Film. The website for that is anniefilm.cz. And to watch the film, as well as some of her earlier work, and to uh, 
keep an eye out for some of the future projects that she was just talking about, including this one that will hopefully be going ahead with Cardell. You can find her website at natasha.setner.com. N-A-T-A-S-Z-A-C-E-T-N-E-R.com. Thank you, Natasha, for talking to us. Lovely stuff. Uh, so what does the future hold for you and I here in Squigglyville? That's right. We're going to be at the Cardiff Animation oh, yeah. Festival oh, yeah. <laughs> in a few weeks' time. Aren't you excited? I can tell by your awestruck silence. I love Cardiff. I'm so excited. It's so nice and comforting. It's like returning to the womb. <laughs> okay. That's a Yelp review for the Chapter <laughs> Arts venue. And I will put it in there. <laughs> So we were looking forward to being at the uh, Cardiff Animation Festival anyway, because we had such a good time at the first edition. Uh, as it turns out, we both have films in this year. Eee. Nice little uh, bit of icing on the eee. on the top there. Um, it's my first screening. Ah, yes, your premiere. Before it's even been on the place that commissioned it, because they won't tell me when it is. Yeah. I thought wasn't it was going to be this that. month sometime. It was meant to be not. last month sometime. Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> So I'm hoping they're fine with it. Um, um, well, you know, they don't have a choice. If you haven't seen the uh, Cardiff Animation Festival program, uh, visit cardiffanimation.com. And uh, their festival passes, I think, are all sold out at this point. But individual tickets for events are available. Each screening is kind of thematically grouped. And uh, Laura, your film The Gift is part of Shorts 2 Body, which yeah. will be taking place Thursday, April 2nd at 1pm in Chapter, and then the following day, Friday the 3rd of April at 1.45pm. Twice as nice. Indeed it is. It looks like it's in good company as well. Yeah, no, these look like really nice films. The art history from the stills is really Lady fun. films. Some of them <laughs> I've seen inside me. Um, we talked to Maria Texera at Encounters. Uh, Good Intentions by Anna Mazzaris. You interviewed her on the site about a year ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a tremendous film. It's, you know, still going strong. Uh, This is one you quite liked uh, from Moth Studio, Conception, Katie and Jen. Yeah, that's a lovely film. But then, to be honest, everything Moth does is lovely. Mm. They also seem to get, like, the best gigs. Like, they always make films. I'm like, oh, I wish I'd made that film. (laughs) It wouldn't have looked as nice, but... (laughs) Have we talked about your film yet? What I don't it's know. about? Uh, do you want to tease it, maybe? Interview me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be interviewing you at the festival. Oh, yeah, that's weird. We're doing the filmmaking community, <laughs> so we have to take it in turns. Uh, I'll interview you, or maybe I'll I'm gonna interview you. I'm going to be so bad at this. Interview you. I'll be like, what you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll wait until the Cardiff Animation Festival podcast. Uh, before we uh, talk too much about our films. My film, though, I will talk about a bit. Mm. No, just, uh, it's a love story, but not really. Uh, but it is in the category hot. And this is Thursday, April the 2nd at 2.45pm. And then Sunday, April the 5th at 12.45pm. Again, both at Chapter. Uh, most of the events at Cardiff are going to be at Chapter. There are a few that are at separate venues, but... Um, yeah, that's the sort of main hub. There's a lot of stuff there that's worth checking out, and there's going to be an Ardman exhibit uh, up in the exhibition hall where the, in the first edition they had a Chuck Steele one. Uh, so that's going to be exciting. 
um, and all sorts of panels and discussions and master classes and uh, feature film screenings, uh, etc. And then we back to this particular love themed screening, as it's quite apropos to what we do here. Um, there are a few that I'm quite looking forward to uh, checking out. Again, a couple that we've talked about before. Laugh Lines by Patricia Wenger is another one that we um, talked a bit about when she was at Encounters. It's a film by uh, Lisa Ramon, a French film called At the Other End of the Table, which is um, it's a kind of uh, minimally animated... It's playing with the frame and playing with the animation as a, as a way of making artwork to sort of... Mm. How the characters interact with each other. Yeah, and the, the audience perception of how frame logic works. Yeah. But using the uh, relationship of the two characters. Uh, one that looks really good by Sjak Rude from the Netherlands called At First Sight. And the trailer for this looks batshit. Oh, yeah. It's about two people who I think they get in a car crash. And that's the beginning of their relationship. And um, it's got a scarf esqueness to it, doesn't it? Yeah, a bit of scarf, a bit of like Ralph Steadman almost, with mm. the not so much the design, but certainly the ink and paint work. And the manicness. Yeah, there's a kind of manicness that you don't, you sort of feel from Ralph Steadman's illustration, because I associate him with still work mainly, but it feels very frantic. There's a very high energy to it. And so this seems to be a kind of capsule relationship story but some of the visuals are just uh, really really good you should check out the trailer for that it's called at first sight i'm not quite sure how to pronounce this it's a welsh title kitsch dealing queer dealing maybe i'm guessing massively i have no idea um this is from winding snake productions who brought us creepy pasta salad uh lauren orms film that we've talked about quite a bit and it's directed by a ue graduate called Effa Blossy Mason. Uh, this is one I've seen little snippets of on her Instagram, like little kind of test shots and stuff. It has a really, really lovely sense of colour. So I'm quite looking forward to seeing how this one uh, has come together. Synopsis on here is a magical animated tale about queer love and a boat made of leaves. This is a music oriented film, which I've not seen from the USA by Alexia. Houdanian called And Then She Kissed Me, a love story between two girls who find happiness in each other, inspired by a reinterpretation of the classic rock song And Then He Kissed Me. And this has a more of a kind of, I guess, stateside approach to the design from the look of it. But yeah, like I said, to see the full program, check out cardiffanimation.com. We're getting quite excited. We'll be there if you're a filmmaker and you're going to be there. We very well may end up interviewing you at the Q&A brunches, so uh, do come say hello. You can come say hello anyway, I guess. We're fairly approachable. We'll be the ones eating cake. Cake and toasties. Oh. I remember the grilled cheese there. Really oh my good. God, I love, I love Cardiff animation. <laughs> it tastes so good. <laughs> So I think that's all from us this episode. Uh, there'll be um, another Squiggly podcast coming pretty shortly, I believe, uh, from the British Animation Awards. So you won't be squiggly for very long. However, in the meantime, of course, if you need your squiggly fix, we are on Twitter at squiggly. Squiggly.co.uk is the website, facebook.com slash squiggly magazine and squiggly animation on Instagram. Them's the main bases. Get on it. I am on Twitter at Ben L. Mitchell. Laura, you're at LB Kelly. I am. 
If you want to give us a follow too, we're delightful. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye.